There are things happening that can explain. Demons can attach themselves to objects. What do I do? Protect your family. Father Perez? Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. And I'm Ron. This is our review of Annabelle, starring Annabelle Wallace, Ward Horton, Alfre Woodard, and Tony Amendola. Directed by John Leonetti in theaters now as of October 2014 on a budget of $6.5 million has grossed over $129 million at the time of this recording. And this is our other little treat in your trick-or-treat bag for Halloween, everybody. We did an extra review on top of our Halloween series for The House of the Devil. And as we were getting ready for that, you and I exchanged texts and tweets about Annabelle. And you were like, hey, why don't we just go ahead and do this one, too, since we both have seen it and it's, you know, in theaters now. And I said, yeah, why not? Yeah, I mean, and it feels like a good companion piece to the other... Uh, the other movie we did, the extra treat, uh, House of the Devil. Indeed, indeed, it does. I mean, and I've you know I've seen the movie that this is the spinoff from, The Conjuring, several times. Watched it in theaters. It's been on HBO, seems like constantly for the last two months. And you know, we watched a lot. My wife and I really like this. We went and saw this in theaters too, and we like this kind of thing. And so I was like, yeah, sure. Well, you know, this is a, a good one to do on the heels of that. This is sort of the big budget version of what all that could be, right? That's what this is trying to be, at least. Yeah, it definitely fe- it, it's definitely got more of a budget, uh, but it still maintains the kind of um, fairly slow pace, uh, you know, older style of filmmaking. Mm-hmm. I mean, Annabelle is a movie that is set in, what is it, the 60s, Six, late yeah. 60s? Yeah, it 68, fe- 69. It, yeah. it feels like a, a movie from that time period, a little bit glossier, Mm-hmm. Uh, special effects much better, of course, than you would get in 1968. But it definitely feels like another period flick uh, to kind of go with the 80s, the slice of the 80s that was uh, House of the Devil. Yeah, and uh, just real quick, because we're you know we're not going to review it or anything here, but I, I'm assuming you've seen The Conjuring as well. Oh yeah, it worked for me. I, I like uh, Patrick Wilson just in general, mm-hmm. so that was a, a nice thing to have. Uh, I enjoyed him. I thought Vera Farmiga was great in it. I love her on Bates Motel. That's one of my oh, she's phenomenal on Bates Motel. Favorite shows on TV right now. It's just fabulous, and I thought that worked pretty well. I mean, it falls into the same constraint of this film, and you know, we didn't even talk about it in House of the Devil, but the whole idea of based on a true story, which means no, it's not. <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know, that was a trope of those times, right? Was that everything was based on a true story, ripped from the headlines or whatever? And I, you know, I'm like, yeah, yeah no, it's not. But whatever, I. I I enjoyed The Conjuring pretty well. I, the end of it, I think I talked about last time that exorcisms just kind of bug me. At, at some point, I'm just tired of seeing them now. I'm sort of seeing a ton of them at this point. And I thought, eh, I, I don't want to see any more uh, exorcism, but eh, it was fine otherwise. I was curious to you know check in on this because I know they're doing sequels to The Conjuring, but the Ed and Lorraine Warren files, they you know, the Annabelle I guess the tag story that's on the front of the conjuring got a lot of people interested in, Hey, what's that all about? And so they did a little spinoff here. Yeah. uh, See, and that was kind of what I was hoping this movie was going to be. I really want the nurses uh, story. Yeah. I thought that was what was going to happen. Cause I'll be honest with you. The first like five minutes of the conjuring, that nurses story is some of the most unnerving stuff 
in that movie. I mean, it's incredible. Yeah, I, de- I definitely wanted that. I mean, I'm not, uh, you know, displeased by what happened in this particular film. No. But I'm thinking Annabelle 2, where they actually do the nurse's story, is just going to knock my socks off. Yeah, I'm, I'm, and I'm hoping, and I, I'm assuming by the uh, budget on this, that that is definitely coming around soon. Because, <laughs> I mean, it's, I mean, I, when I wrote that down, it was $129 million. I just looked, and it's like over 130 now. So, they, yeah, this movie's made a lot of dough. And, you know, it's, it's part of it. It's coming out at the right time of year. Um, you know, the Saw movie's made tons of money for years one because i actually think they're pretty good but also because they came out at the right time of year people want to see this kind of stuff they're in for it they're down for it and you know that the contract works so why not try and do this one and uh i was curious to see what what they could do could they make a killer doll movie that wasn't stupid like child's play which you know i will admit some of the child's play movies particularly the third one is a personal guilty pleasure but i would, oh, I would yeah i would never recommend them to anyone <laughs> I mean, they're they're just part of something i will occasionally peep in on. Uh, i would recommend the third one for sure <laughs> the one where they they play army i think is one of the best ones that was ever made i think i think though that this would have been successful even if they hadn't released it at halloween i mean the conjuring came out in the middle of the summer that's and right it was it was a phenomenal uh, business wise, which is something to say because the summer is dominated by these superhero two hundred million dollar blockbuster action films, and did to throw out a little five million dollar horror film, you know, <laughs> and have it make the money it made is pretty phenomenal. Yeah, and it's well, it's such an antidote to those kind of big budget movies. It's a lot slower paced. It's quieter. Uh, you gotta like you're, you're you'll be straining to listen to it. Uh, well, you'll be looking to see if anything's moving around the room, even when it's not, because you're just you're. Yes, the doll's eyes are moving, you know, <laughs> and I, I caught myself with this one going, I'm telling you, the doll is talking <laughs> in the background. And I think I'm just hallucinating a sign of a good film, a good suspense film. For sure. I, I think you're just hallucinating. That too. <laughs> I probably I probably am. So it's probably <laughs> probably the pizza. I ate. <laughs> yeah, the drugs pizza. Uh, my thing was I really enjoyed the fact that they've got this creepy doll mm-hmm. that everybody wants for some inexplicable reason. Yeah. But the doll itself is not the thing causing the problems. Yeah, that's the thing is it's almost like it's just the the prop to the side to be creepy. It's It really is being used by something else, as we'll find out, right? Yeah, that's uh, that's the thing I think that I liked the most about how they set up Annabelle, the both the doll and the the movie. Because like you've got this creepy doll, but they don't use it in a, the way you would expect them to use a creepy doll. It's just kind of there. Yeah, it's well, it is. It, it's there, and it's done to make us out. It's to give us the misdirection, and again, that's part of the charm of this film for sure. We can get into so. Well, let's do the plot real quick, and then we can get deeper into the movie. So, it's 1969, and soon to be Doctor John Form gives his expectant wife Mia a doll to add to her impressive collection for their baby's nursery. The neighbors are then killed at night by their strange daughter and a man uh, with her as a part of a ritualistic sacrifice from the cult they were a part of, meant to raise a demon. Uh, The police arrive in time to kill the assailants after they have attacked John and Mia, who both survive even though Mia was stabbed in the process. The baby is born and they move to Pasadena for John's hospital residency, and Mia and baby Leah begin experiencing odd occurrences around the apartment building in the living area, and they seem to be centered in and around the doll John gave her as a present. 
Comforted by new friend and mystical bookstore owner Evelyn, played by Alfrey Woodard, Mia tries to deal with the happenings only to have them escalate to violent proportions. Employing the help of a priest, the couple trusts to get rid of the doll only results in stronger attacks from the demonic entity, claiming that it wants a soul. And in a final showdown, Mia is stopped by John moments before sacrificing herself, only to have Evelyn intervene and offer her soul to satisfy the demon. John and Mia and the priest move on, and the Annabelle doll ends up at a hobby store, where it's bought by the mother of a nurse from the opening of The Conjuring as credits roll. And that's kind of a tight little summary. There's more that goes on here, but I think that gives us the gist of what we see. Yeah, I think that's more than fair. I didn't see this opening weekend. I went and saw something else the weekend this premiered. Saw it the next weekend, but still a pretty packed theater for a matinee show uh, for us. And I was surprised by that. And I will tell a story on myself. It takes a lot for me to get genuinely scared. I mean, like really scared watching a movie anymore. I think I've just seen too many of them. But I was particularly exhausted. The Friday I went and saw this, and I'm going to blame all of this on that, but my wife got the biggest chuckles out of me I've ever heard her have in a theater watching me jump and cover my face and squirm <laughs> in my seat like I was six years old. And I I remember smiling and laughing at myself going, what are you doing? And I was like, this is what sleep deprivation does. But I caught myself genuinely unnerved by this. I enjoyed The Conjuring, but in no time after the first five minutes of it did I want to just crawl out of my seat. I literally watched parts of this movie, Ron, through my fingers. And, I, and that's been a long time since something like that happened. That's that's a phenomenal reaction. Man, you, you need to go see every horror movie on like four hours of sleep. <laughs> I, mean, I guess so. I'd probably have a, a lot better reaction. I don't know. Some of them, I don't think there's some things we'd ever save. Like I could have been up for 10 days and went and saw Halloween resurrection in a theater, which I did see in a theater. And I think I would still had the same awful reaction to it that I did. Cause that movie's terrible. But you know, th- this kind of thing I think works when you're, and your guards down a little bit. And I sort of felt like, I, you know, I was there. But what I noticed was I was not the only one in the crowd the same way. The young college student sitting, you know, just to the left of my wife was gripping, death gripping her pack of M&Ms throughout <laughs> the film. I mean, rattling to the point like we were going to hit her <laughs> you know? and people were shuffling. I mean, there was a lot of Ugh! and, you know, my audiences in the South, we react to things on the screen. So I, I enjoy that when I get that kind of reaction out of the crowd. I wasn't the only one going with it. Well, that sounds like you had a really good experience. My, yeah, I saw it like you after the, the opening weekend. Uh, and we had a really good crowd too. And we were at another matinee show cause I'm cheap. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I, I like the matinee shows too, because it is less of the crowd. But yeah. Yeah. But it, uh, we still had a big crowd and in the, the row behind us, there were like uh, a couple of women and like six kids who were too young to watch something like this. Oh my. <laughs> but here's the thing. They had the exact opposite reaction you did where you were like squirming and, and, and you know, people were rattling their uh, you know, their candy and all that stuff. They were just frozen, <laughs> dead silent the entire like the first five minutes you hear them shuffling and eating and, and you know, talking to each other. And then the, the Annabelle starts being Annabelle and the kids are just dead silent and not a peep is heard from directly behind me the entire movie. It was one of the funniest reactions that I've ever seen. Is, I would sneak back looks at those kids, and they were terrified. It was great. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, those are going to be some children that need therapy very soon. Or they're going to grow up and do podcasts about horror movies. But, but, I mean, that's how these things start, people. So, I think anybody that's been listening to our, our series this, you know, uh, 
October has you know, heard me tell my Halloween story that I got introduced to that movie at a very young age, and it it didn't necessarily scare me, but it froze me in my place. That is for sure, and so I I can relate to that. So um, that you know I I'm enjoy seeing things in the theater like this. I think there's some movies that work well at home and like you can just watch them at home. It's no big deal. But I do think there's something neat about seeing a good, scary movie in a theater. And for the most part, this one works on that level. And I think it's built to be in that type of environment. Um, I think that this one, the conjuring insidious, they're all theater movies. Yeah. More so than like say paranormal activity, which I think works as well or better at home than it does in the big screen, especially if you watch it by yourself at night with the lights off. Yeah, I agree with that. I think those films are really good in the dark by yourself. You don't have other people to save you uh, from whatever's happening with uh, Katie and her random satanicness on <laughs> in that uh, film series. But let's get into this one here. So <clears throat> I, we open up in uh, in church. You know, and I, you know, I don't know about you, but uh, I don't often thumb wrestle during the uh, the uh, um, sermon on Sundays. But I suppose there's worse things you could be doing. <laughs> so, as we meet our two people here, John and Mia, the forms, and I, uh, you know, I'm automatically getting this, and it won't be the last time. But I thought immediately they named Mia. She's pregnant. There's going to be Satan involved. I, I'm thinking Rosemary's Baby again. Oh yeah, definitely. I get that that vibe almost immediately. Mm-hmm. So, and I don't know, I mean, you know, last time we talked about some of the homages from that, uh, that Ty West was doing in the house of the devil in this film, I feel like sometimes that can work. And then sometimes it's really, I don't know, it's almost too much, right? Like, how are you with, with that vibe and the fact that the character names were even the same? I, if calling them John and Mia after John Cassavetes and Mia Farrow from Rosemary's baby was, for whatever reason, that bothered me a lot, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure why. Maybe it's because she didn't get the Mia Farrow haircut <laughs> at some point. Yeah. Maybe it was. Maybe it was just because it kept the apartment that they move into when they move to Pasadena. It's a very much Rosemary's Baby uh, California apartment. Oh, I mean, it, totally. It's, yeah. it's it, it just feels at some points like. All right, you've seen Rosemary's Baby. So have I. Let's do something else. You it, know like, what I'm saying? I mean, yeah, it's it's almost like let's put Rosemary's Baby in California. That's what a lot of this movie is and feels like. And and I don't think it's done on accident either. I think the screenwriter does it that way. I believe our director here is you know, passioning this this way. And I already realized that I'm not getting the story I want, which is the story that you talked about. I want to see the story of these nurses being haunted by this doll that moves itself around and leaves them notes with crayons and asks some, did you miss me? Because that is what I was looking for. And the fact that, you know, we get nowhere near that in this one, I don't know. It's a, it's a little disappointing. Yeah, I, I was a little disappointed by that too. That was kind of what I was hoping for. Uh, you know, as I've said, but I, I I don't think I ended up being disappointed with the movie as a whole by the time it was over. Mm-hmm. I think there was enough weirdness, I guess, going on to 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 slake my thirst for uh, strange doll action. <laughs> yeah, you definitely get some strange doll action. It, that's for sure. if, if only because of the the uh, the scene in the elevator. Uh, yeah, the, the elevator scene in the basement was yes. probably the scariest thing for me because I. Among my many weird little ticks is I have uh, a phobia of being trapped in an elevator 
especially since the elevator at my workplace breaks down on the regular basis. Oh, yeah. See, that would – yeah, I could see why that would be a, a realistic phobia. I think a lot of people feel that way. My wife's a very claustrophobic person, doesn't you know do the stuck elevator thing, and I don't know that I'd particularly care for that either. So I, there's – there's a lot to be said for that, for sure. But I like how we meet our characters here, though, that we do meet them, and they're they're just sort of the wholesome, you know, 60s couple. They're the antithesis to everything else that's going on at the time, right? Because everybody else is dropping out, tuning in, and, you know, doing acid, and, you know, as he says, running off with three husbands and naming themselves Star. You know, I mean, it, there there's that whole movement going on, and John and Mia are very... Ward and June Cleaverish, you know. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that worked really well for me was that these were like two of the straightest straight-laced people. Yes. Uh, that you could get your hands on. I mean, she sits in the living room and sews. Yes. He he is studying for his boards. That is like literally the extent of their exciting weekend. Yeah, uh, while she's watching, what, 60 Minutes or whatever about the Hilter Skelter crimes in California and the Manson family and all that stuff. And, you know, he's trying to study and relate to her at the same time. And, you know, the, the only thing I'll say is, and it's the one thing that's kept taking me out of it, is Annabelle Wallace does not look like a woman that comes from that era of people. She's definitely modern beauty, for sure. She, she's not built like the women of those times were and she doesn't wear her hair like she doesn't really look like she fits in that era of uh what i would call the you know the soon-to-be new mom or whatever she looks very much more modern than that but if you can get around that i do think she gives a good performance here yeah i think she's just fine i mean like you said the hair uh doesn't really work and she definitely she's got the uh what i call the madman trap of yeah. looking like a modern person, like cosplaying as a '60s housewife. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It, so. Much, much more so than uh, what's his name, the husband Ward Ward Horton. Yeah, he said. Which no, is yeah, yeah, funny. Ward Horton. I think he comes off of soap operas or something like that, from what I've read. And he he's always making cracks about don't watch soap operas, which I thought was you know kind of funny and <laughs> and tongue in cheek. But he definitely he looked like something off of My Two Dads. You know, or whatever. Oh, yeah. I mean, he definitely was one of those guys. So I thought at least I, you know, the thing about John and the John character here that gets me is he's really a side note to a lot of this movie. Like it's mostly going to be about Mia. And uh, that again feels like Rosemary's Baby where John Cassavetes is, is a, is a, uh, he, he propels the plot along because of where he is, but he's really a side note to everything that's going on. Uh, no, that totally makes sense. Uh, I think that's another one of the structural things that they were doing to say, you know, Rosemary's baby, uh, Rosemary's surfing baby or whatever, uh, mm-hmm. California take they want to do with this. Yeah. The devil goes tiki bar. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's kind of like that time they wanted to do Beetlejuice goes Hawaiian, right? <laughs> so there, there are worse ways of doing it. So we, we have to go with it. But, you know, we meet their neighbors too, the Higgins, who – seem like nice you know folks right i mean they're decent enough they've had a daughter that's run off and joined the you know the hippie clan and stuff so there's that but they're they seem to be sort of taken with these people in this little neighborhood they you know they come off good enough but the what i will say right now i think is the best scene in the film uh, with one exception of what might have been the best scene near the end of the film is what happens at night, you know, the, the attack on them. But before we get to that, though, let's talk about this doll. OK, so they have a little bit of a 
misunderstanding, we'll say, right? You know, you've been married long enough. Anybody that has knows this. Sometimes you just say stuff and you're like, oh, that was so the way wrong thing to say, wasn't it? You know, <laughs> and you're like, mm, how do I get out of this? So, and, you know, John is preoccupied with medical boards and all that. And sure enough, and he talks about how hard it is. And she's like, hey, I'm the one birthing the kid over here. <laughs> right. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I thought that was cute, though. It added a little bit to their relationship. That's one thing I'll say is that uh, Ward Horton and Annabelle Wallace do have pretty good chemistry together. Yeah, they feel like a legitimately married couple. Yeah, yeah. And not like in that fake Hollywood sort of way. Like you could actually see these people, they, they kind of kid with each other and play around and they have their own little shorthand and stuff. And so I, I give the actors credit for building that you know, from the roles. Yeah, they, they, they definitely pull that uh, that little trick off. Mm-hmm. And it's a it's a convenient um it, it, it's it's a, just a, it feels like a nice little like normal moment mm-hmm. to set you up for all the crazy stuff that's going to happen later. Oh, exactly. Because, I mean, this is going to go off the reins here in a few minutes when they get going with everything. But he gives her this this present. You know, he's found this doll. She's been a doll collector. This apparently was one similar or one like she had when she was a kid. And so this one replaces that. And, you know, it, what do you make of this doll? This thing is not, I mean, it definitely fits that motif of like some of the things my grandmother has, those old porcelain dolls, but mm-hmm. it's, it's just creepy just by itself. It doesn't even have to have the scratches and the blood on it that it gets later. It's just, it just looks weird from the start. Yeah. It's definitely the, uh, it makes me think of the Seinfeld episode where George dates a woman who has the doll that looks like his mother. Ooh. <laughs> uh, and, and her house is full of these weird, disturbing dolls. It's definitely like high up on the weird pop culture toy mm-hmm. uh, sort of thing. I, I hope they don't like make that doll to sell at the store, but I'm sure they will. Oh, I'm, I'm sure McFarland's already got tons of them, you know, out there for people to have in various disarray. Hey, here's the thing I, I, I'll say about the doll that always gets me is that, you know, supposedly the real Annabelle or whatever, you know what it is, right? It's a Raggedy Ann doll. And I had that on my wallpaper when I was a kid. And I, you know, was after reading this, you know, reading about it after The Conjuring and this, I thought, you know, I almost think that would have even been creepier. <laughs> if they had taken, I'm sure they couldn't afford the license for it or whatever, but I, I almost think that would have been weirder than the weird porcelain doll. Yeah, I think that that actually probably would have worked better, I think. Because to me, if you look at Annabelle, you're, you're looking at something that someone has basically designed to be unnerving. Right. Well, okay, let's just talk about it now. James Wan, who directed The Conjuring and and you know, was responsible for that opening scene that gets replayed where they you know purposely don't show Vera Farmiga or Patrick uh, uh, Wilson so they don't have to pay him anything to be in this. Um, I... I will say this. He, you know, he's got a thing about dolls. I don't, have you ever seen the movie Dead Silence that he came out with? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah I, they definitely got a creepy doll like fetish. This guy does. I don't, you know, the original Saw was built around Billy the Puppet and all that. I mean, he's this is not a guy that is uh, far into the idea of doing the weird doll stuff. And I don't know what it is about him that he it finds these just creepy little creatures to turn into. Uh, to things over horror screens, but uh, I don't know. It's, he seems to always go for the weirdest looking thing he can find. Yeah. He, it, it's, he's definitely got some kind of attraction to that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, 
It just makes me wonder, was there a creepy doll in Insidious? You know, I I don't remember one, but there was, you know, creepy Tiny Tim music. So, um, you know, there's already that. So uh, I don't know. Um, There's he's definitely got something going on with the creepy dolls. But, you know, he's not the one here on this. They they play up with the same doll. But my thing is, is she's got this collection of them. And what did you make of that collection of dolls, man? It was pretty extensive. Yeah, I don't see why she needed another doll to answer her collection. I, I know. I'm like, well, first off, your kid can't play with any of that anyway. <laughs> so, oh, no, no. So. You don't want your child playing with an antique Victorian no. doll made out of ivory or whatever. And, yeah, porcelain. No, you don't want to fool with any of that. So, yeah, that's one thing. But the other is <laughs> – excuse me. Whew. The other is it just seems to be like the kind of thing that a child would see and would not react well to. You know, like children. Are yeah, smart. that was that was one of my uh, many thoughts in the the movie. Like when she puts it in the room with the crib, it's like, oh, that's a great thing to do. Your child just why don't you just you know deliberately pipe nightmares into her brain like Clockwork Orange style. Yeah, exactly. Or or take him to see this movie and set him in a seat behind you, right? I mean, yeah. that's, that's the same kind of thing that's going on here. So, uh, but yeah, I thought the same thing. I was very very strange. Um, doll to, to have in a child's room but nonetheless that's that's the story and so we go with it right and then we we get into what happens that night and like i said i think this is the best scene in the whole film she wakes up to you know the windows are open and to hear something going on next door and sure enough the the you know mr higgins gets up to go investigate a noise then the man runs in with i guess he's got a hammer or something and goes to attack the missus and all you hear is that you know shriek psycho violin sound and see that blood splatter across the windshield the window seal and you're like oh wow what went down next door and i i was hooked at that point i mean i really thought wow that is a good creepy moment yeah i really enjoyed that moment uh i like the the way that they staged it and i, and I really they really were able to, to mine a lot of tension out of it Mm-hmm. Just by having, just by keeping the porch lights on, mm-hmm. but not by having it be in a neighborhood like without street lights, mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> I think really helped a lot. Uh, that was a uh, that was a really uh, well executed uh, kind of set piece, mm-hmm. I guess you could call it. Yeah, and I um, and I love how you know he, he she wakes him up and he goes next door to check it out and he's like, "Don't call the cops, it's probably nothing." And I'm like, "Well, this is again going back to that time when things were more innocent." You know, he didn't even lock the door when they came home from church, right? I mean, that's part of the the neighborhood that Mayberry esque you know part of California they live in, Santa Monica or wherever this is supposed to be. And I don't know, I kind of liked that, that he's sort of trying to go, ah, it's okay, you're just being hysterical, you know, woman again. And then, of course, we find out very quickly that's not the case because she's walking around and I'm expecting something to come off the porch and get her. You know, I'm like, there's no way you're going to get away with that kind of activity. Yeah, or something to be back in the house uh, waiting waiting for her. Right. Which which was fairly similar to what happened, but Mm -hmm. they they delay it just long enough that it's not – you know, well, it's it, there. it still catches you by surprise. Exactly. It's there to unnerve us. And I mean, I think that's the whole point because he comes back out of the house, you know, covered in blood, call the cops. You know, I, I'm going to go work on these people, I guess, because he's a, nearly a doctor or whatever. He knows what to do. And so he's 
out there attending to them. And she runs back inside and does the 911 thing and all that. And we see in the background this, you know, female figure walking around, right? And what we'll later learn is Annabelle Higgins, the daughter of the Higginses, who is staging this attack along with her friend, man, whatever, you know, <laughs> owner. I don't know how that all goes down in the Manson family, but it's it's definitely very weird. And we hear that little voice behind her. And I think this is the first real super creepy moment we get in the movie is that I like your dolls. And I, I was like, it was one of the first moments I was like, oh, I'm not going to be able to handle this today. So <laughs> and, that and, was definitely like the moment that I wish they did put in the trailer. But yeah. I'm glad they didn't, because by not spoiling it for us, it made it made it that much creepier. Yeah. I mean, they spoiled the thing I liked, where you see the little bloody girl running, and then she busts through the door and becomes uh, the screaming dead daughter. Right. Right. But I like that they kept some of that stuff back for us. Oh yeah, and I, I thought that was fantastic. And then of course, you know, the part that I, I had heard was coming up is that you're going to see this woman attacked in her house. The guy comes up behind her, and I thought he's not really going to do anything to her. When he stabbed her in the stomach, I thought they are not going to go there. No way. And sure enough, they don't. And but I, for a minute there, I thought, wow, we just went full Sharon Tate here in this movie, and that is brave for a little six and a half million dollar horror movie. Yeah, just the fact that they even that. Excuse me. <clears throat> Just the fact that they stab her mm-hmm. at all is really a brave choice. You don't see a lot of, of violence against pregnant women. No. So uh, in in movies, and you know, with good reason. It, it's people don't like that. Yeah, people don't go for that kind of stuff. I mean, that's that's the truth. Is and so you have to be careful with protecting your audience. Is what I call that. You know, at some point you you have to. <laughs> keep your audience from totally revolting against you. But um, I don't know. I, I like the fact that, you know, he got beat up a little bit. She got attacked that it was not an easy fight when Ward showed back up. Or when John showed back up. Yeah. It wasn't the, um, it wasn't the Hollywood man shows up, punches the guy out. Right. I mean, he took a few. Smash cut to the co- yeah. Smash cut to the cops arriving. He got the crap beat out of him. They both did. She lays there bleeding for what feels like an uncomfortable amount of time. Yeah. So, And then the police show up. They gun down the man. And then, of course, they go into the bedroom and they find Annabelle Higgins holding that creepy doll and having apparently slit her own throat, drawn something weird on the uh, side of the wall and, uh, you know, killed herself as part of this thing. And I, I automatically I'm like that. I mean, I, I felt child's play-esque there i was like all i needed was the the little seance words and uh and brad durf's voice and, and we'd have been right back there because i knew immediately i was like well clearly that's part of something much bigger that we're, we're not let into just yet yeah very rarely in these horror movies do they set up the occult and then not use it right For just once i would like to see somebody do all the uh you know pentagrams and all that crap and then the cops just be like, oh, that's just some idiot. Well, they, w- <laughs> they would if this was the 80s because it's just a Motley Crue video at that point. But in the oh. 60s, the, the, I mean, again, think about the times, the, the Tate murders, the Manson family, all that stuff is going on. I mean, this is very timely. And so I, I thought it, that was well placed and well done. So I, now, I went- now, see, I don't know, because to me, the 80s was all about the uh, satanic panic. 
Well, it was, but you could see it in popular culture. And so, like, it, I think the satanic panic happened in middle America and in the South, you know, things like that. In places like California, New York and stuff, they all just played it off as a joke, you know, which is how really all of it was anyway, right? So, I, I don't know. I, I've... I've always associated that more with like, you know, Geraldo's viewers um, <laughs> and things like that, that he really was the one that kind of got a lot of that over. But um, Yeah. In, in California, they had real Satanists and they knew that they were mostly harmless. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The real Satanists were, you know, just, just uh, people doing Anton a lot of, Le- yeah, Anton yeah. And his just doing a lot of drugs buddies. and trying to creep everybody out. So mm-hmm. <laughs> particularly anybody Catholic. So, but you know, that it's not the first time that that'll happen in this film even itself. So, but I, I don't know. The thing that got me about this was, again, how they back away real quick from the brave choice that got made. She gets stabbed in the stomach, and like the next scene is, you're going to be fine. Everything's cool. And I'm like, how is everything cool? I, I mean, I don't know. I've never been pregnant personally. But I don't, I don't just imagine that that kind of trauma is not exactly you know good uh, for a mother or baby during this time. Well, I mean, she does have to go on bed rest afterwards. Yeah, which, I, which she doesn't do. Should we just go ahead and say she's sitting up uh, and talking and walking around doing all kinds of things? It's the least restful bed rest I think ever. Yeah. Because <laughs> she's like skulking around the house and making Jiffy Pop and, and all that stuff. <laughs> or not making Jiffy Pop. Or, or not, not making Jiffy Pop. Not smelling it go off. Yeah, all kinds of weird things I, happen to this one. That, that was, to me, that was my least favorite setup. Mm-hmm. because I've known people who've been pregnant, who've had kids, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. You can't get a stink like that past a pregnant woman. No, not, not, not even close. So yeah, I, I didn't buy that for a second. So yeah. I mean, you can't get that bell past me. It was a space worthless. <laughs> no, Let alone I, somebody with a actual, you know, a working nose that also has that extra uh, necessary sensitivity Exactly, because they're they're attuned to everything at that moment. Yeah, you're right. I I don't know how they why they were playing that that way, but uh, before we get to that though, is the whole setup that they they do here with John and Mia, and everything's going to be fine, and the detective, and I don't, you know, I, this detective I actually expected to play more of a role in the film because they bring him back a couple of times, but. After the next time he's around, he just kind of disappears. Like I, I sort of expected to see him in the climax somewhere. Yeah, I think that was um, I, I, that was my expectation too. But I think um, I, I liked that he didn't show back up again. That he didn't really seem to matter. Mm-hmm. Um, but he he still felt like at times like he just was turned into detective exposition. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't even know if he had a name. I'm just going to well, call him detective I, exposition. You know, the rest I, of the- for the, yeah, that's a good name for him. Cause I, I refer to him the way sinister refers to one of the cops as deputy. So-and-so he was detective. So-and-so, you know, I didn't even know what his name was. Didn't matter. So he was just there to move plot points along. That was, that was his whole purpose in life. So, which I don't know. I, it was fine. I mean, I, I guess that was okay. The thing is, is that, like I said, it's the least restful bed rest ever that this woman goes on. But they make the immediate choice, you know, like, I cannot be in that house ever again, right? Like, you knew that was coming. Mm-hmm. And I was okay with that because I figured that's exactly what they, they'd have to do at this point. So to be able to, to pull something like that off, there's no way that one would ever be anywhere near that again. And that's uh, the kind of smart choice you don't see people make in these type of films. So I'm, I actually, at that point, I'm, I'm kind of on the film's side. Like, yes, you should move by all means. Get out of that place. So. 
Are you, but that leads to a different problem. I mean, you, I know you are taking your possessed object with you, yes. but is there no running water between uh, Pasadena and um, Malibu or wherever <laughs> they are, oh, Santa Monica? Yeah. Is there no river? Because I. Correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't that the traditional rule of demons is that they can't cross running water? I, I thought that too. I don't know. That's a good a good point. I hadn't thought about it that way, but you're right. I believe that is a rule there, but they apparently have, have broken that one around too. The other thing, and I thought what you were going for is the fact that the doll is thrown out, but then automatically shows back up when they move to their new apartment. I thought you were making a statement about, is there no running water to wash the doll off with? Because... You know, Mia takes the doll and just sets it on the shelf. And at that point, I, I'm being led by the misdirect. I'm going, she's possessed by the doll. Like, I'm like, oh, she's, it's going to be the mother possessed, right? They, or the baby's now possessed. Something is, has possessed this this poor woman at this point, right? Like, there's no way that this is uh, just going to go down easy. That was kind of a direction I was going into for a while. Mm-hmm. But then I just realized that this woman is just dumb. All these people are just dumb. <laughs> yeah, she and does. That's... She does begin to make the possible worst choices ever that she can make. Right? You know. Okay. Uh, you've got to work the night shift now. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I'll stay here in this brand new place that I don't know anything about by myself. Sure. No problem. <laughs> yeah. And and listen to my. Uh, unsettling 60s pop records. Yeah, exactly. I, I can't, you know, my mom can't come visit for a couple months. Your mom can't come visit for a few months. We can't buy a gun. <laughs> yeah, we can't, we can't buy some extra locks. Maybe we shouldn't live upstairs since I am pregnant. <laughs> maybe, a, yeah, maybe a big dog. Uh, yeah. Maybe a nice walkout ranch. Yeah, so, something. I mean, I, I know we got to be close to work, honey, but come on. You know, so. you know, like a doomsday preppers uh, <laughs> compound in the hills. Again, they're not thinking about it. And that's the thing is we're not supposed to give the film this kind of thought. But I catch myself doing it because outside of that tension that was created with that first opening kill and stuff, there's nothing here to keep me, you know, really engaged and listening to a lot of this. Right. Like it's just sort of I don't know. It kind of hits a lull. Yeah, it definitely slows down in the middle. Um at least between the the part where they move and when the baby is born, um, even after the baby is born, it's still slow for a while. Yeah, let's talk about the birth of the baby, how that goes down, because that's on a traumatic experience as well. I don't remember that one so much. I'm trying to. <laughs> to I'm. I, it's like, uh, hold on a minute. Let me. I've got a note here about it. Um, let's see. Da-da-da-da-da. That is – oh, that's when the she sees the little girl that runs at her, I think. So No, no, no. That's after that. You're right. Um, da, da, da. She does something, though, that brings about the birth, like in a violent way. Um, hmm. I don't remember. Yeah, it's, it's escaping me at this point, but that might have been when I got – up to go to the bathroom. It could be. You know what? We'll just we'll just get by it, right? So so Mia has the baby finally, and then weird stuff starts happening around her, right? Like she meets the little kids on the steps of her apartment building, and one of them's drawing pictures. And he ultimately, you know, when she comes back home, he's drawn all these pictures or something has right of her and her baby getting run over by a big truck, which is really weird and unsettling. A little bit. But the thing is, those kids, do we ever see them again? Uh, no. And that killed me. I was like, why, why introduce them and then never go back to them? That I I was 
furious at this movie for that because I was like, come on, don't don't set something like that up and then leave me hanging. It also seems weird to me that the kids were so or the the boy was so stranger danger. Yeah, and the girl just seemed to go with it, right? Yeah. It's like, oh, she's nice. She can't be mean. She's got a baby because, no, you know, no one evil has ever had a baby, apparently. Yeah, exactly. Right. These kids <laughs> clearly hadn't seen Rosemary's baby yet. So um, so that's that's the thing to take away from there. But, I, you know, this is also the time when we meet Evelyn or as I will just sort of crudely say now, this movie's magical African-American, like literally. Right. She's yeah. Quite literally. She's. Yeah. The, the yeah that makes me sad because Alfred Woodard's a really good actress and, and good at playing bit parts like good at playing small things but she is almost totally wasted in this movie I feel like. I, yeah I, I I don't I mean I mean I know Alfred Woodard's got to get paid too <laughs> yeah. like the rest of us but yeah you can't give her something better to work with than what she's got yeah let's, I mean Evelyn's whole story is that she and her daughter were coming back from a visit and she was um and she was sleepy while driving and while she was driving back she has a wreck and kills her daughter right and in the years that followed that she had a rough time she really you know struggled with stuff and almost tried to kill herself and she claimed she saw a vision of her daughter that told her, no, it's not your time. You're built to do something better, which automatically let me know in a telegraph that, well, she's going to play a role in the climax in some way. I don't know what, but clearly she will have to redeem that. Sorry, I was eating a cookie. No, you're fine. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, no, I get exactly what you're saying. They really kind of, it seems like the more I pick this pick at this movie, mm-hmm. the the more I pick it apart. Yeah, like I'm I'm pulling you know, like I'm pulling a chicken chicken <laughs> meat off the bones. Yes. Uh, I mean, there are still good bones here, mm-hmm. uh, but I her story about well my because my suicide attempt didn't work. I know that I'm here for better things. Felt a little pat to me, and it really. Well, it just seemed to come out of nowhere too. I was like, did we even need that character to be that way? Like, I don't, I don't know that that was necessary. Even you know, I, I would have been fine if they kept this thing smaller and this was all of the John and Mia show. Like, why couldn't yeah. it have been that? Because this is the part where I really feel like John is just sort of shoved to the side for about thirty minutes. Yeah, I mean, and you could give this part to the priest. Mm-hmm. You could probably give the priest part to, um, what's her name, Alfred Woodard. Yeah, you could give you could have given the priest part to Evelyn. Uh, See, that's what I was pl- I thought they were going to go with, but then I remembered they set something up there in the very beginning about how religious these people are. Like they're they're not. I mean, they're playing around in church or whatever, but they clearly have a relationship with their you know priest there and stuff. Like these are people that that believe in their faith and they're you know grounded by it in some way. So. It, you know, you introduce mysticism to them, that kind of plays against itself, right? Like, I don't, I don't know that you can be devoutly Catholic and, you know, do some voodoo on the side. <laughs> you know. Um, hey, hey, you never know. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of mystical elements to Catholicism. This is true. This is true. So it's maybe if they were Jewish and it was Kabbalah, I would go with it. But Oh, uh, they already did that movie with, uh, <laughs> what's his name? Uh, oh, yeah, that's right. That was that, uh, the, the... The Dybbuk. Yeah. Uh, 
the comedian was in it in uh, Modest Yahoo. Yes, yeah. Um, I, we, we're both talking about the same thing. I know what you're talking about. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I was curious to be how they were going to play this because the Evelyn role and the priest role seemed to be <clears throat> too, too many. Like, they, they needed to have one of those people or none of them. Like, both of them seemed to be fighting for supporting cast role here. Yeah, and they both are, seem to be fighting to be the spiritual advisor, so to speak. Right. And I'll admit, watching this movie, I'm even feeling this. Like, as much as I was into that opening and really just, you know, got freaked out by it and stuff, there's nothing that's creeped me out nearly close to that because they'd already blown the bit about the little girl that turns into the adult and runs through Mia in the apartment. So I knew that was coming. I'd seen that. And I don't know. I just didn't. There, there was nothing really just making me go, eh, okay, this is your standard haunting. I mean, that's what it felt like, at least. Yeah, I checked back in um, for the elevator scene that we've already talked about, mm-hmm. or that we've mentioned in brief, and I checked back in for the shot of the uh, the demon like behind the doll, holding the doll up. Mm-hmm. I like that part, but I I, I did kind of check out in the middle. Well, let's let's talk about the one thing that happens in the middle that is of consequence, and that's the fact that she calls him that detective. Right. And probably the most unrealistic thing in the film, (laughs) in a film that is totally unrealistic, right, is Mm -hmm. this conversation she has with the detective, I think, because he not only did he come over to her house and bring her, you know, crime scene documentation of things, he lets her see and keep. Crime scene photos of like people massacred and sacrifices and all that stuff. That just seemed really. You talk about you know deputy nobody. I I didn't get what that was. I that there could have been another way she discovered that. She reads a newspaper. I, you know, couldn't there have been something else that we gave her that information and she didn't have to work with this cop that isn't going to play a major role in this movie? Yeah. Um... I think to me the most unrealistic part would be that the cop would drive up to Pasadena from, you know, Santa Monica or wherever in L.A. they were living before. Because, right. you, you know, why would you go like an hour plus out of your way just to show some crime scene photos to a lady yeah. uh, with a kid? Uh, yeah, maybe she could have dug in the newspaper. I mean, that's what the that's what a microfiche montage is for. <laughs> true, true. So I guess so. But I, I don't know it. There, there could have been something else that allowed her to get that. Evelyn could have helped her look all this stuff up. That know? would have been a good idea. That would have, yeah. Evelyn would have been more useful then. Yeah, exactly. Instead would have of made just a lot more sense. Instead of just buying books for the baby and clothes and being sort of the black grandma, you know. So, which is really all the role she plays for about a you know, twenty-minute segment of this. It's really strange. But we get through all of that stuff to actually get to things that we've mentioned, but we need to talk about in detail now. And those are the really scary parts. The haunting parks that are going on around this house. John's supposed to come home from work. They're going to have a dinner date at, at home. And, you know, she's got her romantic music on. They got, you know, the wine out, you know, all this stuff. And you get the sense that Mia's eating that meal for about three hours by herself. So she's there by herself. And she turns the record player off. And not only does it come back on, but, Rod, it comes back on with a vengeance. I mean, it blasts through the ceiling. Apparently... This demon likes his, uh, you know, carpenter-esque pop music. 
Yeah, um, you know, I mean, who knew that demons were into the light FM? Yeah, I, I didn't know. I would have always said demons would be more the psychedelic route from this era, but uh, apparently not. So, uh, which is, I don't know, it's kind of neat, but but it was a good scare, right? And it also leads us into some of the other scares that come up. There's the one where, you know, she she actually is in the street once, and the baby carriage rolls out into the street, and a green truck smashes it to bits, and then all of a sudden the baby's in her arms. So it's like she's having hallucinations, right? And th- when Mia starts to lose her mind and come unnerved by all of these things, that's when I sort of check back in with the movie and realize now I'm watching something I want to see. This is interesting. It was the part leading up. It was like, um, I think you said it was like uh, somebody writing a 44-minute television episode versus a 90-minute movie. Yeah. And it definitely feels that way, especially in the middle. Because the parts where I think they knew what they wanted to do are, are really well done. Like the supernatural elements are really well executed. Mm-hmm. The scares in the third act are really good. Um, the the first act is really good. It's just in that middle where they're padding for time. Yeah, it's it's like they don't know how to totally pace it out to get to 95 minutes or however long this is like they just they don't have anything to go and, and it's fine that it slows down house of the devil slowed down for a long time with nothing happening then you know the girl got her face shot off and then all of a sudden nothing happens for another 15 minutes but that you leads you to the one place to the another one thing led to another with that like they got somewhere this all seemed to be just useless backstory and exposition that could have been done a lot better ways. That I think that's what I'm I'm feeling too. And it sounds like the same thing you saw. Yeah, and and the movie was 99 minutes. Mm-hmm. So they and they definitely could have cut out that extra nine minutes. Yeah, just I did, making it even hour and a half. I, yeah. You could have probably have gotten away with 85 minutes. I don't think anybody would complain. No. Uh, I, mean, I think a good horror movie. It's hard to get one that lasts over an hour and a half and maintains its tension. Like it's just it's very rare that that can ever even exist. You know, it's, it has to be paced just right. And this one fails in the middle, but when it picks back up, man, it picks back up with a vengeance and probably the second best scare, I would say in the film next to the opening kill of the Higgins is me on the elevator. We talk about that. Okay. she, She goes down to the storage area below to you know, put something up or whatever, and that baby carriage rolls itself out, and we see the strange, dark figure standing over that baby carriage, and she runs to try to get on the elevator, and the door keeps opening back up on the basement, and keeps opening back up on the basement, and that figure is getting closer. And I, that was when I began to crawl out of my skin again and be like, okay, yeah, now I'm, now I'm scared again. So. <laughs> yeah, that was... That was really one of the uh, the better set pieces. Clearly, they had been thinking about that one for a while. Yeah, I mean, it's a great and, it's uh, a great moment. I mean, th- th- that whole thing is is well done, and really, it, it's it's a great freakout too because it gives you something. It, you start to realize that Mia is not just making all this up. That's the thing is that sometimes movies like this will play with the idea of like, well, maybe these people are just making this up, right? And they they let us in real quick. They're like, no, 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 no. This is all really happening to her, and it keeps happening, and it keeps happening. And she gets that you know weird cut on her arm, which is the same as the you know thing that the woman put into her uh, or carved into the wall, right? And 
I, I don't know. I, I thought all of that again was really well done and, and a good creepy mo- set of moments. Oh yeah. That one was really, uh, that was one of my favorite parts. I think, um, to me, it wasn't just that it happened once or twice. The fact that it happened like six times, mm-hmm. and that it that it, it 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 went past my comfort level with that kind of scene. Yeah, and I think it really works uh, because of that. No, absolutely, it does. I mean, it just it just keeps on and on and on. It just really weirds you out. And so, of course, she she gets. Uh, you know, she's already heard from the detective about Annabelle Higgins and she was in a satanic cult and, you know, all this stuff. And she's talking to Evelyn about all this. And so the next thing is she, of course, has lost her mind at this point. Husband comes home and she's like, OK, we got to we got to talk to a priest. We got to do something, you know, or we got to talk to somebody and we got to get a gun. We got to get a dog, something. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. And and I like that. She's like, we're doing something. You know, we're not just going to sit here. I'm not crazy. I will not be ignored, Dan. We, we're going to come up with something. And I love that his answer is like, you know what? We're going to go to Father Perez, you know, because he's somebody we can trust. And I don't know. I, I thought that was cool. And I love, too, that the the priest doesn't just, you know, the usual role of the priest in these kind of movies when this happens is, oh, child, there's nothing to be afraid of and stuff. And I love how he's like. Okay, yeah, well, you sound like you got a class four demon there, so uh, you know, and he's like automatically knows what to do. Which, yeah, uh, definitely something to be afraid of here. Let's just kind of, uh, I'll yeah. take this murder doll off your hands. <laughs> yes, just... exactly. Yeah, but I like that though, because that played against type of what I would expect, right? Is that these, you know, usually those people again are against you. They don't work with you, you know, so readily. And in this case, he's like, no, okay, yeah, I believe you. <laughs> Yeah, the fact that everyone takes them seriously really uh, was a refreshing change and a, and a positive change, I think. Right, because the the trope is that no one ever believes you until it's too late, right? And so the you know I don't know I I liked all of that. I liked the way that that played um, for the you know John and Mia here and the and the you know. I'm watching the father throw that thing in his side seat, and I love how he takes one look at it, like, "No, I'm not. I'm not riding shotgun with that thing." And so he throws <laughs> it in the back, and I'm sitting there next to my wife, going, "It's it's going to crawl up. It's going to crawl up out of the back. It's going to it's going to sit up in the rear view because they're setting that up, and then they don't do it." And I thought, okay, I'm going to give this movie credit for something because I thought that would be the the place to go. That that would be the next thing they did, and they don't do it. And so I appreciate it when movies can play with my expectations like that. And this one certainly did. I, I Yeah, I really liked that they set that up and didn't do it. Mm-hmm. Every time they had a chance to make the doll itself do something creepy, mm-hmm. they flat out refused. Yeah, it's like the doll didn't get a chance to be Chucky. And I think they, they were aware of that in some way. Like They were like, we're not going to have Chucky Bell run around this, this set. Yeah, and I think that really helped. Uh, excuse me. I think that really helped um, keep the movie even more grounded. I mean, as grounded as a movie about a uh, demonic possession doll can be, right? Is that they they flat out refused to do all the creepy stuff that you would expect from a creepy doll movie. Exactly. Well, let's talk about the demonic possession. Is the doll possessed, or is the demon? just following them and the doll just happens to be one of its playthings. Uh, well, they established pretty strongly that the doll is linked to the demon, at least in uh, the conjuring. Right. But that, uh, it seems like they almost retcon it here to me. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, I definitely get what you're saying. It, it and it does feel like the 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 doll is almost an afterthought mm-hmm. for the demon. Yeah, so, at least for the the demon side, it's it's just again, it's its tool that it uses to just mess with these people. You know, it's the or at least to mess with Mia. Because that's what keeps having you. Of course, the priest is taking the creepy doll away, and before he can even get it in the church, the adult ghost of Annabelle Higgins shows up, right? And I guess she force throws him out of the church. It was pretty pretty wild what happened there. Yeah, uh, he's walking towards the church with the doll, and then all of a sudden he just gets um, shot backwards like he was launched off a, a catapult. Yeah, I, mean, I, I don't know. I thought that was... Pretty cool and and a good effect. And I thought he was dead. The fact that he lives through that and ultimately survives the film is a surprise to me. I really thought Father Perez, that was the end of him. And uh, Yeah, I, I had assumed he would be dead at that point, too. Yeah. So, if, and, only, if only because that's the traditional rule is that the, the meddlesome slash helpful priest is going to die. Exactly. And honestly, can I just tell you now, I kind of thought that I, I really think they needed to do that. I think he needed to die. I, I'm just going to really? say, yeah, I, I think they needed to we needed to have some sort of cost for everything that was happening here. Nothing. Was, no one was being killed. There was I mean, there was a lot of weird stuff happening. Sure. But it was just really freaking everybody out more than anything that I, I needed a death. And since I already thought there were too many characters in this as it was, I, you know, he, if he would have died there, I'd have been okay with it. Is what I'm saying. Uh, yeah, I mean that makes sense. Um, but I, I, I kind of like that nobody died because you don't get a lot of people just dying in real life because uh, of these sorts of supernatural events. You know, you know what I'm saying? Oh no, you're even you're, even yeah. if you don't necessarily believe in them. Yeah. Uh, you know, you can still say, well, all these people who see this stuff, none of them actually die, unless we're talking about like the DeFeos from. Yeah. So who were shot by you know a family member? So yeah, the, yeah, from uh, oh, what is it? Amityville. Amityville. Amityville two. Yeah, the, they do the movie. Uh, well, I think they were um, the DeFeos were the original family that actually lived in the Amityville house that were murdered there by their son, and then right, but they yeah. used that story for Amityville two, right? Correct. correct. Yeah, okay. I think I think that's exactly what happened. Yeah, so they they go tell the prequel. Or whatever at that point, but yeah, um, been a while since I saw Amityville too. Um, but uh, I remember the the horror that Amityville three was, so, <laughs> and so everything just kind of reminds me of that at this point. Anyway, I don't know. I I I think I wanted stakes is what I was looking for because again, after that great fake out and and or a great you know setup in the elevator and stuff, I needed something to happen here, and no, nothing again did for a little bit. Yeah, um, it, it's almost like they take their foot off the gas mm-hmm. a little bit and, and let the movie kind of coast because they had, you know, 20 minutes of cool stuff and they had to kill 35 minutes. Right. I mean, it's one thing to let a movie breathe. I'm all about that. That's fine. But you can also let one like go to sleep, too. And and I feel like at different points, this one is doing that. It's it's teetering on the border of becoming a bore, which is sort of sad to say about a good horror movie. But it, I mean, the premise here is amazing. The fact that it's not completely paying off is uh, disappointing. But I mean, I don't think that's like the director's fault though. Mm-hmm. 
Because I think it looks, I think it's a scripting issue. Oh no, I agree with you totally. And I mean, I, I lay a lot of the problems with this, and we talked about it. You know, I had mentioned to you offline. I feel like a lot of the problems with this are the fact that it's written by somebody that mainly works on television, and has mm-hmm. done rewrites and things. So it's, you know, they, it, you don't know how to pace the thing, then it's it's hard to pace. So uh, I, I get that totally. I, that's that's completely the feel here. But I mean, and I think the director does a really good job with what he's given. He he does he does an adequate job with what's there. I just wish there had been some more stakes and maybe he could maybe he wasn't in a position where he could force his way a little bit more. But I really wished he had because I needed something else to happen here before we get to what's going to be the climax. Because at this point, John's in the hospital sitting bedside with the priest. No, never mind to call your wife and go, hey, by the way, our priest just like got totally messed up. What happened? You know, <laughs> and waiting for him to wake up so he can tell him what we already know. The doll is nowhere to be seen, you know, so the the doll has been has gotten away. The demons got it, whatever. But we do get a really good attack here on Mia and Evelyn back at the house. I think Um, I liked the way that the demon looked when we finally got a good look at it. It was a little Pazuzu from Exorcist. Yeah, I can. Yeah, it definitely does look really cool. Mm -hmm. And I do love that final battle, so to speak. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's talk about it. Evelyn gets basically thrown out of the apartment, you know. Yeah, she gets the force shove out the door. Yeah, so which this thing is really good at doing that. So it's there's the force shove out the door, and then it's you know it's chasing Mia down the hall, and we've seen this thing chase her every other way around the world. So to see it go down the hall at this point is just another, uh, I don't know, another unnerving bit. But I I don't know. I'm I'm waiting for anything to happen at this point. I'm just I'm like, but this is finally ratcheting up tension here. And we see her as you know John is racing back to uh, to the apartment to get her to save her because Perez has woken up and told him everything that's going on, or at least what he knows. She goes into the bedroom, and there's the Annabelle doll. I mean, it's been sitting up behind her. It's creeping around. And at this point, it's laying in the crib. And when <laughs> she grabs it, I lean over to my wife and I'm like, I bet that's her baby for real and not the Annabelle doll. And then she proceeds to beat the holy hell out of it against that crib, that metal crib, dents the crib, throws the doll across the room. And then in the next flash, it's the baby on the floor. And I'm sitting there like gasping to myself going, no way they're going to do this. It's, can they do this? And I'm actually at this point, I'm going to be honest with you. I was rooting for the movie to go there, even though that is a horrible, horrible thing. And that makes me a bad person for saying that, that I wanted to see a infant murdered. But I thought if this movie goes there, this is the, the coolest and most gut wrenching and risk taking horror movie of the last 20 years. But of course they don't go there. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. that would have been a, a phenomenally brave choice. <laughs> yeah. So, but what what they do is that it's just it turns out to be another doll that just laughs at her, and that's when I begin to wonder what does this demon want? Because it's drawing all over the ceiling is that I want her soul, I want your soul, I want a soul, something mm-hmm. I want some souls. So I put on some James Brown on the record player. I mean, th- there's <laughs> something going. It's all about the soul, and then I'm in Chucky Land again, and I'm like, why is this thing still playing with her? It clearly can get her to do whatever it wants. Is it just trying to drive her so mad that there's she has no other choice but to, you know, come to the realization that she thinks she needs to be out, which is to throw herself out the window? I, I think that was my assumption. That, that was what I had assumed it was doing. Okay. I did. I did like the uh, teased baby murder. 
uh, part like you did. And I like that that's a doll. It was a doll we had seen earlier. Right. Uh, it was, you know, Chekhov's doll. <laughs> there you go. Chekhov's blonde doll this time instead of the other one. Chekhov's, uh, yeah, giggling doll. Yeah. So Which, it, talk about unnerving. Oh, yeah. The, the, just the giggling doll out of it, just out of nowhere. Yeah, I, I was uh, creeped out by that for sure. So it's definitely a weird vibe that they've got this whole movie. But, of course, they don't go with it. John shows up, and he... Immediate, I mean, I'm like, this guy should be like in crisis counseling. He should be a psychiatrist instead of being a physician because he's really good at talking people off the ledge. And this isn't the first time we've seen him do this. And at one point, I thought maybe they were going there with that was he was going to play a shrink or something. But of course, he's not. But I don't know. I, th- I thought that was neat that he's able to convince her out of that. But then the most, I guess, obvious thing since the Alfre Woodard story about her daughter comes up is we realize that, oh, Evelyn's going to be the one that sacrifices herself. So not only does she have an almost thankless role here, but Alfred Woodard's just there to jump out the window. Yeah, that, that was, I understand setting a movie in the sixties, but I don't think you need to write it like it is the sixties. Yeah. You know, I don't think you need to have the, the magical Negro throw herself out the window to, to, to save her white friends. Uh, yeah. Save the white, the white baby. Yeah. Yeah. To save the little white baby and the little blonde girl. Exactly. So uh, it, it, that just left a bad taste in my mouth because it felt unnecessary. Yeah, it didn't need to happen that way. Like, why couldn't there have been, you know, the priest hands him a cross or something that says, "Go do this and say these words and believe." Like, this guy's devout enough or comes off at least that much that you could have believed the faith would have knocked it out. I mean, that would have been as satisfying as what we get, which is Alfre Woodard throws herself out the window. I mean, that yeah, they clearly established that this, this, these people are like legitimate, always there Catholics, right? Because uh, I mean, they're friends with their neighbors who, in, in the beginning of the movie, give them a ride home from church. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they're on a, they know the the priest knows them. Yes. And uh, takes pictures of their kid, which I thought that was going to pay off into something like he sees something in the picture. I, I, that, I was, I was expecting that too. Cause, but I think I was getting that from, uh, insidious. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think I'm, I'm relaying on another, you know, horror movie for that. Yeah. But I kept waiting for something like that to pay off because none of this, none of it pays off into any of that. And that's kind of disappointing. So, and then at I mean, the end, if, if you're going to use Alfred Woodard as your in your climax, mm-hmm. ever do some like voodoo stuff or something, you well, know? And I mean, if not, you're going to go there, and why not have something that lets us know that she's rewarded for that sacrifice and not eternally, you know, condemned for it? Yeah, for, <laughs> condemned for some stuff that doesn't isn't even her business. Like this ain't even her problem. That's what I'm saying. She's sort of taking it on to be her problem, but it's not her problem. I I didn't buy the whole bit about this is what my daughter meant. This is what I was meant for. Maybe you were just supposed to be nice to people too, Mom. You know, I that's sort of lousy. So, is that you have to yeah, die? Yeah, maybe you're just mentally ill. Yeah. So I don't know. I I didn't. I didn't particularly enjoy that. I I thought that could have been done a, a lot better, and I wished it had been too. I don't know what uh, could have made it, but as it turns out, you know everything's fine, right? Though they, you know, even they and the priest have the conversation though after church. They ever find the doll? I'm like, I wouldn't want to know, man. If it wasn't around anymore, yeah. I'd be like, what doll? There is no doll. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Alfred Witter jumped out that window by herself. Exactly. So, and, and there, and I love also too that much like the sixties, there's absolutely no police investigation into any of this. So I, why I did your, that, why did your neighbor kill herself for seemingly no reason? Well, we don't know. 
I think to me, what would have made the whole uh, the whole Alfred Woodard part work a little bit better for me is if when all the craziness happened, she just bailed. Exactly. I'm gone. Like the moment she gets forced thrown out the apartment and helps him bust it, bust in. Yeah. He runs in. She, she stays on the landing because she's clearly smarter than these people. Exactly. She she's, should have been that. That should have been. But I mean, she's, she runs a successful small business. Yeah. You know, and for a, a black woman in the 60s, that's a pretty big deal. And even a progressive state like California. Yes, that is a very big deal. I agree. It, it does seem like a wasted role and kind of a forced ending. I'll, I'll be honest. I, I really I don't know. I sort of felt like, well, that ended. OK. And then roll credit. Well, we, you know, we get the coda to the uh, the bit about, uh, you know, the doll has uh, makes its way to the store because we have to you know bookend with the conjuring. Right. And. You know, now we get to the story that I think you and I were looking for. Is, you can't give you can't give Patrick Wilson a thousand dollars have him come in for one day of shooting. I, that's what I wanted to know, man. But I guess not. Because I mean, they, I know I know Vera uh, Formiga. Formiga's probably busy because she's you know uh, I assume they're shooting Bates Motel right now. Yeah. But I mean, come on, he could surely show up for scale. I mean, yeah, or get get a look alike. Something you you had something to get us back, but maybe they are saving it like like we've talked about for the Annabelle for, two, you know. That that's my only assumption to make. I mean, mm-hmm. they've got a great idea there. Uh, I mean, clearly, uh, if you can get James Wan interested again, yeah. he can you know bang it out, or you know, this guy can direct it again. Just need a better script. Well, that's the thing is, you know, Juan is I, I don't know if he's involved in Conjuring 2 or not. I think he is. Let me look that up because that sounds goofy if I don't know that. Um, well, you know, James Wan right now is doing Fast and Furious 7. So, I, I guess he's finishing that up, as it as it were, but he's you know, working on that, and then I, you know, I, I don't know if, how involved he'll be in the Conjuring 2. Right now, there's not direction listed on the IMDb page and stuff, so maybe he'll come back for that or produce or something, but um, you know, he's not, uh, I know they've got the stars back for it, but he has said in a lot of places, he doesn't just want to do horror movies. So maybe he's done with this. I don't know, but, uh, to, oh. to, yeah. When they give you a chance to work with Jason Statham, I mean, how can you not do it? <laughs> What's that? Yeah. Jason Statham and Vin Diesel. Oh yeah. Money. So, <laughs> oh yeah. It's the, it's the baldest movie ever made. All you gotta do is get Bruce Willis in there somehow. <laughs> Maybe for Fast and Furious 8. I am personally hoping there's never a Fast and Furious 8. Having liked some of the previous Fast and Furious films, I'm sort of ready for that series to end. But another <laughs> another conversation for another day, perhaps. But Well, Ron, I think we're at the point of the podcast where it's time to give final thoughts, recommendations, and popcorn ratings. So what are yours for Annabelle? Um, a, a lot. It, it feels like a lot of uh, wasted potential, I think. Um. Like there's some really good ideas, and there's some really good uh, pieces, but much like uh, those, uh, you know, those cold cuts that have all the weird pieces of stuff in them. Yes, yes. Much like a pimento loaf, this this just does not pull together in a completely appetizing way. Although if you pick out the pimentos, there's still some delicious stuff there. Uh, that's, that's really incredibly strange, but I like it. I'm going to stick with that. Yeah. The pimento loaf analogy is going to be great. That's pretty uh, good. <laughs> I, I, there's a lot, I think that there's a lot to recommend. And I think that if you can see it at like matinee price, mm-hmm. particularly the early bird matinee when it's like five bucks. Yeah. 
uh, it would be worth it. Um, it's still really entertaining in spite of itself. It, it, I just see that it could have been a lot better than it was, so I'm going to go uh, medium popcorn. I think this is the very definition of what I like to call medium popcorn. It's it's a movie that could be so much more, but for various and sundry reasons, just fails in a, in a lot of stuff. But it gets enough right that at least it's not a complete and total washout. There's enough here to have a good time with. I mean, clearly I told you, you know, go sleep deprived. You're, you're probably going to get scared a little bit, you know, <laughs> by it. it. It'll do that. It's got enough moments, but I almost feel like it's three episodes of a TV show sort of slammed together. And one of those episodes isn't terribly interesting, but the other two have got stuff going on that are, that are pretty solid. So I like it, but I don't think it's as, it's not nearly as strong as house of the devil was. And I don't even know if it's as good as the contrary. Uh, for me, I, I liked pretty well the Conjuring from start to finish, even though it ended with an exorcism, and I just sort of don't go for those generally. But I thought that was okay. This one could have been much better, but I'll say this: they've got something here. If they want to go back to this and do Annabelle two and do the story of the nurses, I'd be down to come back and check that out. I I would be interested to see where it goes. But yeah, medium I'm, popcorn I'm, for me as well. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely coming back for Annabelle two. Uh, with the nurses. I mean, I'd probably come back for Annabelle too. anyway. Uh, let's not kid ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's good. It'd be a pretty good, good run. But uh, I, again, I think the thing I like here is that, that there's enough here that they could do it really good next time. I hope, and maybe they will, you know, we'll, we'll see for sure, but it's been an interesting conversation nonetheless. So Ron, thanks for joining me on these two special episodes here for our shocktober Halloween season. As we do a couple of treats for people's, uh, podcast, uh, bucket, if you will, for the, uh, this time of the year. Are we uh, going to do a trick episode where we, <laughs> where we tell everyone we're going to review a good movie and then we go review glitter? <laughs> no, no, I, I don't. I don't tend well, to do that to our poor audience. <laughs> that would be more of a trick on us, because yeah, it would. Yeah, and I, th- I think you know, with some of the things we've got recorded to be coming out in the coming months, I think we've we've done enough tricks. But you and I are going to turn around and do some more horror, though, my friend. We've got the three tales from the crypts movies. In fact, I didn't even know one of them existed until we got ready to do that retrospective. But we're doing that one next. That's our next series coming right up here, and uh, so we're going to keep the shocks going on through November. November before getting into some other things toward the end of the year and then all kinds of fun stuff we've got planned for 2015 and you never know what might still come out there's lots of stuff coming out at the holiday season we may grab a one-off here somewhere and then i know for a fact you and brian and i've gone down a road of uh well i guess what started off as a uh and a friendly argument online about the worst movie you've ever seen and we we've reviewed a couple of those and that's going to be coming out in the early part of next year too Oh, that'll be fun. We, we yeah. should. Uh, that'll be a good uh, January uh, dumping period. <laughs> yes, for much, the podcast. much much like, like Hollywood. Much like Hollywood. That's what we're coming up with. We're gonna come up with a great thing right out of the top. I'm not gonna tell y'all what that is yet because I'm really excited about that podcast. But then we are gonna review what possibly may be the two worst movies ever put in cinema. But, uh, you know, and then we've got all kinds of fun stuff heading up for the spring. We're going to do Back to the Future. Um, We're going to do you and I are going to do the Dirty Harry films. And then even, you know, looking at way far ahead to next uh, summer, really May, we're going to do the Mad Max series. 
Yeah, we were planning this out ridiculously far in advance. <laughs> yes, yes, we like to plan ahead. That's the uh, the rule here on continuous play. Then, of course, as always, best laid plans will turn into mush, and we'll have to change all that because the studio will find some way to mess us up. <laughs> but <laughs> hopefully, they won't. We can make it through this. We'll we'll see how it goes as we get closer to time. So it should be fun. But thanks for joining us again here, folks. You can find more episodes on our website, continuousplaypodcast.com. Uh, click the movies button, and then also when you get a chance leave us a review on itunes let us know what you think of the show we really do appreciate your support it'll help us a ton and it helps other people find the podcast too when you leave reviews on itunes for us so we really appreciate everything and i've always enjoyed interacting with our listeners so let us know what you think of the show what you think of the movie and you know hey if you disagree with us that's fine let us know we'll be glad to take a take a, a run of that with you and talk about it with you on social media platforms around the web. So until next time for Ron, I'm Jay. Thanks for listening to Filmstrip.